who we haven't met. Um, my name's Sam. I'm married, got one wife, uh, got three daughters, and uh, I'm so thankful for my family. I've got a 21-year-old, a 19-year-old, and a 14-year-old, all serving God. In fact, my 19-year-old saw a bit of a revival take place in her school, and God's using her right now, not just in our nation. In fact, she's speaking in other nations, and and uh, all my kids are involved in church. I, I feel like I'm a blessed man. How many know church is family? And God wants His praises to go from one generation to the next. And even if you're in this place and you're the only person in your family here, come on, we're going to believe with you for your family to get saved. I shared the other night that 26 of my family members gave their hearts to Jesus in an 18-month period. And if God can do it for my family, He can do it for your family. Maybe you're single here. You know, maybe this is the start of a new family. Maybe some of you just need to look across the aisle. And that somebody special is going to be there. I met my wife in church as a 14-year-old. 14. She was my first and only girlfriend. We went out at the age of 18. And then I got a little bit confused and I broke up with her. She was part of my small group, connect group. And I was dropping her home one night. And as a 19-year-old, I didn't have much wisdom. I broke up with her and I said to her, I don't see you in my future, which was pretty harsh. She, she went out of the car, but I just saw her response in that moment. I saw her conviction that she loved God more than she loved me. And I had to come back and I had to say sorry. I got it wrong. Because she was definitely in my future. We've been married 28 years uh, this year. And, um, but here's the thing. She tells that story many different places. And my kids, my daughters know that story. And I've heard those words back uh, a number of times. And my kids sometimes will say to me, hey, Dad, hey, Dad, I don't see you in my future. <laughs> And so I'm paying the price of the, I've paid the price of those words a number of times. But I'm just so thankful to God that church is family. And uh, if you're new to church, you've got a family. I feel like uh, I've got a whole lot of friends and family right now in the Philippines, in this place. And uh, I want to say it's such a, a great honor and privilege. Uh, to be here. But we're going to go to the Word of God this morning. So if you got your Bible, let's go to Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 6. And uh, we're going to be reading a few verses out. So let's go to that. And, and here, uh, this is a story of, of Nehemiah. He gets a burden to go back to his home city and, and rebuild the walls that were broken down. He was serving in another nation but God put something within him. In fact, where he heard the state of his home city. He goes, I can't just be here and do nothing about it. I, I've got to do something. And so he stepped out. He shared with a number of people and a number of people said, come on, let's arise and build. Let, let's do this. Let, let's do that. Let's rebuild the walls of our home city. And so we pick it up in chapter 6. It says this, Now it happened when Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem. I want you to notice those three characters there. you got Sambalat, 
you got Tobiah and you got Geshem. When Sembala, Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, so they were enemies, heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though at the time I'd not hung the doors and the gates, that Sembalat and Geshem sent to me saying, come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. Everyone say, Ono. Because, but they thought, because they thought to do me harm. So I sent messages to them saying, I am doing a great work. Somebody say, I am doing a great work. Come on, I want you to say it with a little bit of conviction this morning. I am doing a great work. I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down to you. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent this message four times and I answered them in the same manner. The thing that I've found is that right after God moving in my life, right after a significant encounter with God, I found in my life there's always a challenge that comes next. In fact, if you look at the life of Jesus, when he was baptized, immediately after the baptism, he was led into the wilderness and there he was tempted. Man, we've had an incredible weekend. God has moved in this place. And I want to just open your eyes because right after a significant move, there always comes a challenge. Because there's an enemy out there and he wants to downplay God's work in your life. He wants to get you to a place where he can diminish its impact. He wants to get you to question its legitimacy. Did that really happen? Did that really take place? Was that all just hype? Was I just caught up in a moment? Did God really do that? See, one thing we've got to understand is that there is an enemy out there and he doesn't want you to live in God's purpose for your life. There's two kingdoms in operation in the world right now. There's the kingdom of light and there's the kingdom of darkness. There's A and there's B. There's no C, D, E or F. And this enemy is out there to destroy you. He's out there to steal from you. But Jesus came that you might have life and life abundantly. See, I've found when it comes to the kingdom, after your greatest day will often come your greatest challenge. And the seed that's been deposited in your life That word that you've got from God, that vision you got from God will be tested. But that's where we need to stand. You know, many gym freaks out there, rap, you know, he goes to the gym, I can see those shoulders and everything like that. You know, and every person who goes to the gym, they know if they're to get stronger, what they need to do is they need to take on more resistance. And I believe in this next season, God wants to enable people to a place where they can overcome that which comes against them. Where in the past people have folded, where they collapsed, where they're given in. I believe this time is gonna be different. People are gonna stand strong in their faith and say, devil, you can't rob me of what God has for me. He's got a plan for my life. I, I like this story. 
Because Nehemiah sets off to do this great work. But time and time again, he faces challenges. In fact, when he declared what he was gonna do, these three guys, they laughed at him. They mocked him. Really, you can't do that. That that couldn't take place. And then they said, well, even if you were to do it, if a fox was to run over that wall, it'll just collapse. It'll amount to nothing. See, many of us, we've got a vision and, you know, some people are gonna come along and go, you, really? That, that could never take place. In the, in the Philippines, in your city, in your nation, no, that, that couldn't take place. And the enemy will come along and he'll try and get you to question what God's ordained in your life. But I like Nehemiah because he stood strong. He stood strong. Now, you've got to understand, in the book of Nehemiah, there's different types going on here. Sambalat, that name, if you look at the root of his name, is a type of sin. If you look at Tobiah, his name, if you go to the root of the name, is a type of the flesh. If you look at Geshem and you look at his name, it's a type of the world. The three things that will continually oppose God's purpose in your life are sin, it's your own flesh, and it's the world, the voices around you. And we've got to recognize those things that come against us. That's why Paul said, don't be ignorant of the enemy's devices. But I love Nehemiah because if you go to the root of his name, the root of his name, it means comforter. It's somebody else who goes by that name in the New Testament. It's the Holy Spirit. How many know we need the Holy Spirit's power? You gotta get this. For 70 years, previous generations had tried to rebuild the wall, only for it to amount to nothing. They had tried hard, they worked hard, and nothing had taken place for 70 years. But Nehemiah was able to do in 52 days what previous generations were unable to do in 70 years. It's amazing what the Holy Spirit can do that religion can't do. Come on, with the work of the Holy Spirit, I'm believing for an acceleration. Some things that haven't taken place that you believe for and you don't feel like you got very far. I wanna declare in this next season, you're gonna see progress in Jesus' Name. Come on, I, I wonder whether we could even believe for 52 days of breakthrough. Come on, those things that have been held back, those things that even God put within your heart years ago that you haven't moved forward. And I wonder whether in the next 52 days with the work of the Holy Spirit, we could see some significant breakthroughs. Come on, that healing. Come on, that job, that open door. Come on, that thing that you're believing for in the next 52 days, we could declare them to be days of breakthrough. Come on, in that Brisbane location in the planting of the church in Korea. Come on, I'm believing for a breakthrough to take place in the house today. We didn't just come to have a religious meeting this morning. Come on, Nehemiah, in 52 days, he was able to accomplish what previous generations were unable to do in 70 years. See, the enemy came at him. He didn't just come at him once. In fact, you read through Nehemiah, they came at him time and time again to where Nehemiah completes the war and we pick it up in chapter six. 
And they come to him again and the enemy goes, oh, well, we know we can't destroy the work, but the best thing we can do probably right now is just distract them. See, I, I believe the biggest danger right now in Christianity is actually distraction. Many people believe in Jesus, but they're distracted. So the enemy knows, well, well if I can't destroy what's being built, at least I can get them focused on other things. We have this advert campaign in New Zealand. And when it comes to driving over the years, you know, uh, it's illegal now to talk on your phone while driving. How many have ever done that before? Yeah, you can be honest in church. I know more of you have done that. Yeah, but there's this advert campaign that's trying to eliminate that. How many have uh, uh, text or SMS while driving before? Lift up your hand. Just, just look at all you criminals out there. <laughs> this is a church for imperfect people. That's all right. It's like, like, like but there's this advert campaign where it says it takes two seconds to kill. We have this expression, I don't know if it's here, but two seconds to kill. You got two seconds? Two seconds? Can I have just two seconds of your time? But it, it's saying, well, well, two seconds if you're going 50 Ks an hour, and I found in the Philippines you never go 50 Ks an hour. But, but if you go 50 Ks an hour and you're looking at your phone for two seconds, you're gonna travel 26 meters. And in that distance, you could actually hit somebody and you could kill somebody. And, and the whole advert campaign is a, a distracted driver is a dangerous driver. A distracted driver is a dangerous driver. I, I wanna say a distracted Christian is a dangerous Christian. I, I once read a billboard. You got a lot of billboards here. On this billboard, it said, don't read billboards. They're distracting. You know, if the enemy's gonna steal from you, uh, I'm not a good thief, but if I was a good thief, you know, I went into a store and I wanted to take something, what I'd do is I'd create a diversion. I'd create a diversion. I'd get the shop owner looking over here while I take something from over here. I, I want the shop owner not even to know that I was taking something from there. That'd be none the wiser. Could it be right now that you're having stuff stolen from you? But you don't even know it's been stolen? Because you're distracted? Come on, God's got something more for your life. So I quickly want to unpack this morning. How do you know, how do you know if you're distracted? The title of my message is, I'm doing a great work. Just turn to your neighbor and say, I'm doing a great work. How do you know if you're distracted? You know you're distracted when you can't focus. You have an inability to focus. See, it's not just what you're distracted by. That's the issue. It's actually what you're distracted from. God's called you to do a great work. And here's the thing, unless you're convinced 
that you're doing a good work, you're in danger of being distracted. I love the fact that Nehemiah had a focus to his life. He said, I'm not coming down off that wall to negotiate with you. The problem in many places is we're getting down off the wall all the time. We're getting down off the wall of God's purpose and God's assignment for our life. And we're negotiating with the enemy. But Nehemiah had this focus and intentionality as to how he lived. He had vision in his heart. It was in him. Today, do you have vision? Many of us know Proverbs 29 verse 18. It says, without vision, the people perish. It's not like you survive. Without vision, the people perish. Without an ongoing revelation, it says in another version, people dwell carelessly. How many of us have been careless with our life because we haven't understood God's plan or vision for our lives? See, vision, when it comes to vision, vision is more than something written on a piece of paper. Vision is a spirit that lives on the inside of you. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 where he says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can understand what God's prepared for those who love Him. How many love Jesus in this place? You know, we love Jesus. You can't see with your natural eyes. You can't even hear with your natural ears or understand in your mind what God's prepared for you. So many people today are trying to intellectualize God. They're trying to understand God in their mind. But if you try to understand God in your mind, that means God can't be bigger than your mind, which isn't that smart. Anything you receive from God doesn't come by your natural sight, natural hearing, natural understanding. Anything you receive from God comes in your spirit. And in the first instance, it doesn't make sense. You don't understand it, but by faith, you begin to understand what's in you. There's many times where I felt this prompting on the inside of me. And I'm going like, oh, man, this is big. I don't know if I can do this. And I try and leave it alone. I'm going like, no, but, but it wouldn't leave me alone. It's like I was caught, I was captivated by it. And the best way I can illustrate this is is. People who like to go shopping. Anybody like shopping out there? You've got a lot of good malls here. You know, shopping, you go shopping. And, and it's like this. This is how vision works. As you see something you like, you think, man, I'm gonna try that on. You try it on and you think, I look good in this. This is amazing. I, I need this. But then you see the price and your heart sinks a little bit, and you put it back, and you walk out of the store going, oh, that was amazing, but I can't afford it. It's beyond me right now. But you go away, and you can't get out of your mind what you've just seen. You've seen it. The moment you saw it, 
How many know it was only a matter of time before you possessed it? Because what happens is you wake up in the morning and you're still thinking about it. And so what do you do? You scheme as to how you can get the money together to purchase what you've already purchased. And you go, oh, we can make some cuts here. You know, we can trim back here. The kids don't need that in their lunch this week. Yeah, and we make some sacrifices to actually purchase what we've already purchased. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. That's how it works with the kingdom of God. You get this thing on the inside of you. It's beyond you, but you can't get rid of it. It's in you. Even when you try and leave it alone, it won't leave you alone. And then as you meditate on it, God gives you strategy. To be like, oh, maybe we could, maybe that is possible. See, I, I like what God said to the Israelites. He said, see, I have given you the promised land. He gave it to them before they took possession of it. I, I challenge to say, right now, you're walking out whatever picture you have on the inside. And if you don't have a God picture on the inside, you're in danger of living carelessly. You're in danger of just accepting whatever happens, whatever takes place. But God's got a plan. He's got a purpose for your life. It's like the person watching TV. And you come into the room and they go, what are you watching? And they go, oh, I don't know. It was just on. It was just on. And so many people in life are just accepting what's on. Here's the deal. God's given you the remote. If you don't like what's on, change the channel and get a picture of what God wants to release within your life. And so many of us are just accepting what society is for feeding us rather than getting a God dream in our heart as to what He could do in and through our lives. How do you know whether you're distracted? It's just, there's no focus. Don't be careless with your life. You owe it to yourself to get that God revelation. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can understand. Don't imprison God in the, don't put him in the prison of your mind. You receive it in the spirit. And I believe there's inside people's spirit, even today as I'm talking, there's dreams being released. But you just got to believe it because no eye has seen, no ears heard, no mind can understand the things that God's prepared for those who love it. But Paul goes on and he says, but the Spirit of God, but the Spirit of God reveals those things to us. How you receive anything from God is in your spirit. How do you know you're distracted? You can't focus. The second way that you know you're distracted is, number two, is you're looking to God and others to do what you can do for yourself. You're looking to God and others to do what He's empowered you to do. 52 days, how did Nehemiah do this? If you read the story, and if we go back into chapter three, we read this, you know, this passage, just one verse here, but it says, after him, get this, after Benjamin and Hazab, what did they do? made repairs, they made repairs opposite their house. And after them, the son of Azariah, the son of Messiah, the son of Ananiah, they made repairs by their house. 
The reason why this work happened was everybody took responsibility for what was right in front of them. That's why they could do it in 52 days. It wasn't just up to one person, Nehemiah. Nehemiah declared it and everybody said, let's arise and build. And and let's take responsibility for what's in front of us. Imagine a church where everybody took responsibility. In fact, that's favor church. This is not just built on a gift, a person, a couple. This is about a body moving forward. And I believe there's gonna come a shift in people's hearts today. I shifted a lot growing up. And one thing I hated about shifting was just moving stuff. Just the thought of shifting makes you wanna throw up in your mouth. It's just like, oh man, that's a big job. That's a big job. I don't know if I wanna shift. Sometimes it's just easier to stay where we are because the thought of shifting and moving I don't want to shift house. I don't want to shift location. Because when you shift, here's the thing. You actually realize, man, we accumulate a whole lot of rubbish. We hold on to stuff that we never use. It's like some of us right now, we've got notes from school or university, and we're holding on to them thinking, oh, I might just need to refer to those. You will never, ever go back to those things again. You can throw those babies, you can throw them all out, burn them, have a fire. I see some people nudging some people right now because some of us are holding on to stuff that we need to let go. It's a bit of a safety blanket. But God wants there to be a shift in our life and God's saying, hey, you gotta let go of some stuff you got to let go of the horse to take hold of the car. You know, some of you are trying to beat the horse, you know, get more mileage. Here's the deal. If the horse is dead, dismount. God's got something. He's, he's moving you forward. See, shifting, you, you realize how much junk you accumulate. The other thing about shifting is, is you find stuff that you forgot you had. It was with you all along, but you forgot you had it. And, and, and in the process of moving, you go, man, I could use that right now. That's amazing. I forgot I had that. Some of you have forgotten what God's done in your life. And He actually just wanted us to remind you because that's a platform that He wants to use to launch you into the next season. Here's the other thing about shifting is when you shift and you move, you're moving into a new space, which means you get to purchase new stuff. Who doesn't like new stuff? Come on, we all like new stuff. And I'm really believing that there's gonna come a shift in people's lives today, that we'd all get rid of junk that we're holding on to, that God would open our eyes to what's already in our lives, and that we'll all go and purchase something new. Come on, we're moving forward in Jesus' Name. If you believe that, I want you to give God a big clap of praise right now. we're gonna require each and every one of us. We moved a lot growing up and one of the things I hated moving was a piano. A heavy, none of us really played it, but moving those things are heavy and I'm going, why are we taking this from place to place? Anyway, to move the piano and normally get me, my two brothers and my dad would each take a corner and we'd go, hey, let's lift this thing. 
And so we go on the count of three. Take a deep breath. Bend the knees. You've got to bend the knees. And then bend the knees and you lift it. You get it in the air only to realize that the door behind you is closed. How I many know when you get it in the air, you don't want to put it down? And it's like, oh man. Okay. And you say to your brother, hey, I'll take your weight. I'll take your weight while you quickly, quickly open the door. And so you brace yourself to take the extra weight. He takes his hands off. And you think, the weight hasn't changed. He had his hands on the piano. But he was carrying nothing. Do you know there's a lot of people in the kingdom of God right now? They've got the strain on their face. I'm coming to church, but they're carrying jack. They're carrying nothing. Imagine a church where everybody took responsibility for what was in front of them and said, I'm prepared to carry weights in this place so that we can move forward, so that we can see a nation saved. Come on, it's not just the pastor, not just the team. Come on, we're all on team in this place. And if we're to see breakthrough happen in 52 days, it's about each and every one of us saying, hey, I'm gonna care for the people in my world. I'm gonna look out for the soul of another person. I'm gonna disciple that person. I'm gonna pass on that which I've received. Come on, freely you have received. Freely give. That's what Jesus said. You've received so much. Here's the thing. So many, oh, but the church has offended me. Here's the deal. You need to be a Christian to survive church. You actually need to operate in the spirit of love and forgiveness. Who hasn't been hurt by other people? We all have. But it's still God's plan. And it's the body He's chosen to use to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. And we've all been hurt, but you need, you know, to survive church, you've got to operate in the spirit of love, forgiveness. You've got to offer grace. Because after all, you've received it. Imagine if everybody even just took responsibility for the condition of their own soul. Their heart. Sometimes I've wanted more for people than they've wanted for themselves. And I've had to come to realize as a leader, I can't put it in them. Only God can do that. I can create the environment where they can drink, but I can't force their head down and go, drink. They've got to get it in them. But imagine a church where, where Christians didn't need to be convinced about stuff they should already have a conviction about. So much energy is given to just trying to convince people who are saved. Imagine if we could take that energy and we could use that energy to reach the world around us. How do you know you're distracted? You're looking to God. God, you come and do it. And God's saying, no, I've anointed you. You're looking in God and others to do what you can do for yourself. I've got to finish up. Last one. If you, how do you know you're distracted? 
How do you know you're distracted? Is Number three is you engage in endless debate. You engage, man, that hit home for some people right there. I just felt it in the room. It wasn't, I was in the neighborhood. I wasn't just in the neighborhood. I felt like I drove down your street and went in your front door and right into your fridge. It's like so much endless debate out there. Oh, well, no, we need to get moving. I, I like these verses and we're gonna pick it up from verse four of chapter six. It says, but they sent this message four times and I answered them in the same manner. In other words, I'm not changing my tune for anything. I got it in my heart. And it says, then Sambalat sent his servant to me as before a fifth time with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it's reported among the nations. And Geshem, represents the world, says that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, according to these rumors, you're rebuilding the wall that you may be the king. Hey, Nehemiah, the only reason why you're doing this is it's all about you. You just wanna be their king. That's what he says. And you've pointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, there's a king in Judah. So you've got other people around you and it's all that part of your master plan. That's what you're doing, Nehemiah. This is what the enemy's saying to him. Now these, he says, now these matters will be reported to the king. We'll report them to the king. So come therefore and let us consult together. I like Nehemiah's response. Take note of this response here. He says this, no such things as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. Here, the enemy was trying to bring an accusation against Nehemiah of wrong motives. You got wrong motives. This is about you, Nehemiah. But I love Nehemiah. He goes, no, I know my motives are pure. I know. And and again, he was trying to get him off the wall. And sometimes we get to places where we feel we need to justify ourselves. But I like Nehemiah, he says, no, no such things have been done. You invent them in your own heart. Here's the thing. When it comes to our judgments, the judgments we make, our judgments say more about us than the people we're judging. What judgments have you made? Because those judgments actually say more about you then what you're judging, yeah, I've got three daughters and how many know siblings can fight? Siblings can say nasty things to one another. Now, siblings know how to push the right button because they know you. Anybody got some siblings out there, brothers and sisters, that they just know your weak spots. And so they know how to get you upset. But what I've taught my daughters in growing up is if your sister says something nasty to you, The only reason they're saying that is because they don't feel good about themselves. It's not about you. It's not about you. Just just shrug it off and move. Don't react. Because if you react, you'll make the problem bigger. Just, Just ignore it and recognize it's more about them 
than it is about you. I'm glad my daughter's got hold of this because when my eldest was 11 at school, a boy at school said something really nasty to her and made her want to cry. But she thought about it. And she looked this boy in the eye and says, Thomas, you're only saying that because you don't like yourself. I go, boom. (laughs) He took two steps back. He goes, you're right. He said, my parents have just split up and my dad's trying to take all my mom's money. He said, I've just been to the doctors and they've said I'm in danger of having diabetes. To which my 11-year-old said, can I pray for you? Suffering were reacting. I've, I've never seen two people come closer together through a debate on social media. Why are you wasting your time? Why are you engaging? There's some things that you're trying to explain that need no explanation because, you know, here's the thing. If people don't have the Holy Spirit in Jesus, they're not gonna understand tithing. They're not gonna understand a whole lot of things because they don't have the Spirit of God in them. And some of us are trying to explain things, but what we need to do is point them to Jesus and keep focused on that. You know, one thing, my daughter, I like this, because often the debates happen in our own head. And uh, when my daughter was about, oh, she was about nine years old, uh, she had a school camp, and she wanted me to come on that camp as parent help. And I thought, oh, okay, I'm proud that she asked me, but the thought of hanging out with a whole lot of nine-year-old girls, it was like, whoa. You know, I, my house is full of girls. Even my cats are female. I often say, I I now know why God created Adam first. It was so he had a chance to speak. (laughs) I don't get a chance to speak at home. That's why I've got to come to the Philippines to unleash all my words. It's like, these are some of the first words I've spoken all year. (laughs) But, But... You know, I thought, oh man, I'm, I want to be there for her. So I signed up, but I said, I only can come to this camp for one day. And so, so I filled in the forms. I can't come for the whole time, sent it away and uh, didn't hear anything. One day I was picking her up from school and she, she arrived at the car. She opened the door and she burst into tears. And she says, dad, you didn't get accepted to come to camp. And I felt really sad for her, but on the inside, I'm going, yeah. <laughs> she said, Dad, it's because you only signed up for one day. You know, a whole lot of other parents. And she goes, Dad, next year, you're coming to camp. And so she's persistent. She got the forms. She filled out the forms for me. You've got to fill in a police form in our nation. You've got to do all these things. And during this time, we we're planting a church in another city, two and a half hours away. And so we'd do these gatherings on a Thursday night. And on a Thursday night, we'd travel down there, run a meeting, and then come home, and often not get home to, you know, one o'clock in the morning. Now, up to this time, 
I want to say I had never got a traffic fine. I've been driving for a lot of years, but how many know when you're in God's purpose, sometimes you're going to face opposition. And so I got my first ever traffic fine, speeding ticket. I was going too fast. And I came home, I told Kathy, it was about, you know, it wasn't a big fine. I could pay the fine and, and it was all good. I, I went to sleep. Next morning, uh, kids get up, Kathy's getting them ready for school and Kathy tells, my wife tells my daughter that I got a fine and her face just goes, drops like this. She runs upstairs into my bedroom. She bursts through the doors and she says, Dad, you got a fine. What were you thinking? Why were you driving so fast? I go, I wasn't driving that fast. She wasn't concerned about my safety. She goes, Dad, you're an idiot. You're crazy. She says, Dad, don't you know you won't be able to come to camp now? We filled in their police record, and you're a criminal. Here's the thing, in spite of my criminal record, I got accepted to go to camp. Here's the deal, first year I was rejected because I just dipped my toes in. The kingdom works off the principle of all in. It's not dip your toe in, dip your toe out, put your hand in, put your hand out. It's like all in. Some of you haven't come to that place yet. And you're having debates with God. If I do this, you know, and God said, no, go all in. If you seek him with all your heart, all your heart, you're going to find him. Problem is you haven't sought him with all your heart. It's all. So first year, I was rejected. Second year, I was accepted in spite of my criminal history. But how many know what you do for one daughter, you got to do for the next? And the teacher who was on the last camp, she asked my second daughter if I could come to camp. First year, I was rejected. Second year, I was accepted. Third year, I was requested. And right now, I believe God is asking something of each and every one of us in this room. And some of us are having debates in our own mind as to why we can't. Remember what I did back then? I can't do that. I'm inadequate. Yeah, we're like, here I am, God, send him, send her. But me, but God's looking for a people. Let's say, I'm not gonna debate about this. I'm just gonna believe and I'm gonna trust. Because this feeling on the inside of me, I can't, I can't let it go. It, it's with me as much as I try and leave it alone. It won't leave me alone. And God, over this weekend, he's done something on the inside. And you can try and cover it up. You can try and run away from it. Some, here's the deal. You may backslide. But even if you backslide, 
You can't be happy. Because God's done something on the inside of you. And he's saying, come on, now's your time. Don't just live saved. Live called. Because Paul said he saved us and he's called us. And he's called us according to his purpose. And like Nehemiah, God's got a purpose for your life. Now's not the time to be distracted. Could have the musicians up. God's established so much in people's hearts over this, these last couple of days. Come on, how many would testify to say that God's done something in their life? I want you to hold on to that. Because I want you to know the enemy's going to come and challenge it. And one of the ways they do challenge it is just to try and get you distracted. Just to try and get you looking over here while he's taking that seed that's been deposited in your heart over here. You owe it to yourself to live out God's purpose. Now's your time. I want everybody to stand to their feet. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You're locating us. Your word is sharper than a double-edged sword. It discerns. locates us. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our heart. I pray right now you come and speak to every heart. You put courage in people to step out and do the thing you've called them to do. Just right across this building right now, if you're just saying, Sam, yeah. I know I've been distracted. And I want my life in this next season to have focus and, and purpose. I want God to mark me in such a way that I, I can never, ever be the same. Some of you have already been marked. But what you're saying is, I'm not going back. And if that's you, just right now, what I want you to do is lift your hands to God right across this place. <laughs>